0: There are only two points I want to make today's message. Let me tell you what they are on top. Uh, Last service, I cried like a baby. I didn't cry last night, and I just cried like a baby in the the first service. Uh, I want to tell you what I want to say so I don't blubber through all of this, you know, and maybe get it out. But there's two points that I think are imperative. This song, How Great Is Our God, really fits. It fits in with my spirit of wondering how great is He to me, what does He mean to me? Um, that young uh, Karen read that uh, that note from that that young girl who went to the camp in '09, uh, and how how God changes and changed her life, and and I think I I relate to that young girl. I relate. You know, where there's times where I think, gosh, I'm, I'm okay here. You know, I'm fighting the fight. And then there's times where I just feel like I'm, I'm just not doing so well. And I related to her very, very, very vividly. And and there's times where I just, I just wonder in my own, in my own mind, am I, am I doing this on my strength? I, I remember a day when I was really brand fresh, new in the Lord, and just excited. And Kay and I were in ministry, and and I, I sensed the presence of God, and I sensed that God said to do something, and I went to do it. No questions asked. Just go, because I felt like if he asked, he was going to, he was going to supply anything and everything that I needed to make it work. And if it didn't work, it was, it was okay. It was just laying the groundwork for someone else. And sometimes I find that those days are gone. Sometimes I think, oh, wow, you know I've got so much to do, and, I've, and, and, and it's, it's, it's overwhelming all that, that, that I have to do. And I wonder, do I really have the time when I sense that the Lord is speaking to me? Do I th-? One of the questions I ask is, do I have the time? Do I have the energy? Do I have the resources? I've almost forgotten that day when I used to think it didn't matter it didn't matter at all. I just wanted to hear the voice of God and do what God asks me to do. And so that's one of the questions I'm going to ask you today and the other is where do you stand with Him? You're going to find that these are really two really important questions. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation the eighth chapter if you recall, what has taken place is there has been, a, there has been a, a point of rest, if you would, between chapter 6 and now this chapter that we've just begun, chapter 8. In chapter 6, we were looking at the seven seals of God, the judgments of God. Remember the first four seals were horsemen? There was a, the, the, the guy that ran off in a, the white horse, which was... a False peace. And then after him came the red horse, which was the horse of war. And then after the horse of war was the black horse, which was the horse of, of famine. And then fourthly, there came the fourth seal, the fourth horse, was, which was an ashen horse, which was death. And a quarter of the earth was killed. It's a terrible, terrible time. And then all of a sudden, there came this, the fifth seal, and... And then the sixth seal. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, John says in chapter 7, you remember verse 1, after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and they were holding back the four winds of the earth. And we try to explain to you that that we believe that that was the judgment. They were holding back the judgment of God so as to take time that God would, out of the twelve tribes of Israel, He would choose 12,000 men from each tribe that would go off and canvass the earth. And do you remember in, in, in chapter 7 and verse 9, John said, After these things, after these men were chosen, after they went out into the world, he said, I looked and behold, verse 9 of chapter 7 A great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, from all the tribes, from peoples, tongues. They were all standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they were crying out, Salvation unto the Lord. It's an interesting place in Scripture. And what is going to happen from chapter 8 forward as I've tried to explain to you over and over again, the study of this book, the book of Revelation, is a bumpy ride. There is going to be terror upon the earth like at no other time in history. And what I want to try to explain to you is what the the, the, the commentators, commentators write concerning this place in scripture. is It's though No one, after chapter 7, no one comes to the Lord anymore. If there are any, they are few and far between. And what I want to do is try to explain that to you. Would you please read with me chapter 8 verses 1 through 6. But we're only going to look at two questions. Do you hear his voice? Where are you standing? John writes in verse 1, And when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden inc- censer. And much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which were before the throne." And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and he threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And then it says in verse 6, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. Please pray with me. Father in heaven above, if ever there was a place in Scripture, and I know, Father, I say this too often, please, please forgive me, but if there ever was a place that I would love for the people to hear exactly what you want to say to us, it would be today. Lord, I I beg of you that you would move me aside, that that there would be no trace of, of myself in this message, but rather that we would hear from your heart, that you would speak to each of us as I believe you have spoken to me this week. That we would hear you as clearly as as possible. And Father, that that you would move upon our hearts. And where we need to be convicted, Father, I pray that you would convict us. And where we need to be comforted, Father, I pray that you would comfort us. And Father where we need to understand what it is that you are asking of each of us, may we understand it clearly. Open our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me be flippant for a moment. I found out one truth when I was studying this, and it was in verse 1. I found out that there, there will be no preachers in heaven. I, I didn't realize that until this week, you know, because it says there's going to be silence in heaven for a, about a half hour. Come on, tell me the truth. Have you ever heard a preacher that could shut up for a half, for five minutes? Well, let alone a half an hour. I thought that was going to be funny. Darn it, Mickey, are you here? That was not funny. I wanted it to be funny. Seriously, seriously, let's get to the point. We've come to a very, very terrible place within the Word of God. There is a saying that says, the calm comes before the storm. And we've come to a place where once again, with with much greater force, God's judgment is going to fall upon the earth and mankind. He is going to now come through the trumpet judgments. There are seven trumpet judgments And at the opening of the seventh trumpet, then there will open up seven bowl judgments. So there are 14 more judgments to fall upon this earth. The coming day of the Lord will be a climactic time of judgment that ends Satan's rule on this earth. And God will finally, finally take back the earth. I believe what is happening here in chapter 8 forward answers what was asked in chapter 6. Look with me again back at chapter 6. Just a page and a half perhaps back for you. Look at chapter 6. And look at verses 9, 10, and 11. It says, When he broke the fifth seal... I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. In other words, these people were martyred for their faith and for the testimony. To come to Christ during the tribulation period, one will be martyred. And so there are these souls that John sees in Verse 9, and he says in verse 10, as we explained a few weeks ago, they cried out, all of these who had been martyred, with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? In other words, upon those who martyred us, how long are you going to wait? How long will you let them be on this earth before you avenge our blood? And God says to them, In verse 11, to each of them was given a white robe and they were told they should rest for a little while longer until, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been, in other words, martyred just as they had been martyred until that number would be complete. Well, I believe this answers the question of those who are there before the altar of God. How long, O God, will you refrain from avenging and judging our blood upon those who dwell on this earth? The first four seals, as I explained, brought false peace, war, famine, and death. As horrifying as those first four seals were, that we studied in chapter 6, they paled in the comparison to the terrors of the sixth seal. Do you remember the sixth seal? you remember what took place? The people actually cried out during the sixth seal. Look back at chapter 6, if you would. Look at verses 16 and 17. They cried out and said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And we answered, Nobody. Nobody can stand before God. Once that day comes, no one is able to stand. And so they're asking for the rocks and the mountains to just hide, fall on us, hide us from His presence. Well, you see, from this point forward, we see that they can't hide, they will be judged. And from this point forward, chapter 8, and moving forward, we're going to see that very few, if any, come to Christ anymore. You know, I found very, very peaceful. I loved chapter 7 because, like you, perhaps, I have many friends who, I'm not sure if they're believers or not, family members, that I don't know if they're saved or not. And I found really peace about chapter 7, believing that, that if this is the day, if this is the time in which the Lord might come back, and, and who knows, we don't know, but goodness, look around. I mean, what's happening to this world in which we live? I mean, how many times are you going to hear them ask on television, do you think that what's happening in Europe is going to happen in our streets? Do you think there's going to be rioting? Let me answer that for them. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be terrible rioting. Except there's going to be a difference. We've got guns. They're riding without them. Throwing rocks. It's going to be horrendous what's going to happen here in the United States of America. If these are the times. If these things are moving the way it appears it's moving. People becoming so frustrated. We become so polarized. We're, we're not a, hardly a nation of people anymore. We're, 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 look, we're seeing what is... Uh, I'm off the subject. But we're seeing what's happened to this world that that has taken God out of it. Out of our schools, out of our... We're seeing what's happening. And so, what is happening to this earth in which we live? And and so I worry for those that don't know the Lord, if if this is the time and we will be raptured, I I found peace with chapter 7, knowing that there were myriads, myriads and myriads of people. So many, John says, I couldn't count them all. That... I'm praying that there's some of my friends and some of my family members if this is the time that will come to believe and trust in Christ. And will be martyred for their faith, but at least they'll be in heaven. But I want you to see what is said from this point forward that we will get to in time, but but it's important for the message today that you read this. Turn ahead with me to chapter 9, would you please? And then we'll go to chapter 16. These are These are what's going to be happening. These are events that that will be happening during the the trumpet and bowl judgments that are coming upon this earth. We we will study it in time. But I wanted to jump ahead with you for a moment. Look what it says in, in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 6. It says, In those days men, men and women, will seek death and they will not find it. They'll long to die but death will flee from them. In other words, they are going to be so miserable that they want to die, and they can't. Turn ahead to chapter 16 and see what their reaction will be to this time. The wrath of God. In chapter 16, and verse 9, it says, Men and women were scorched with fierce heat And what did they do? They blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And then what happened to them? They did not repent. They did not repent so as to give God glory. They blasphemed His name and they did not seek forgiveness. They did not repent. Look at verse 11. Likewise They blasphemed God, the God of heaven, because of the pain and their sores. In other words, they were seeking to die. It hurt so badly. The the sores and the pain was so bad, they wanted to die, but they couldn't. Death fled from them. So what did they do? They blasphemed God, and they did not repent of their deeds. Back to chapter 8, please. Why do I jump ahead and read you this? Well, it appears that people will not repent any longer. It It appears that people will not come to Christ anymore. It appears that the Holy Spirit has stopped drawing people to our Savior. Instead, now mankind simply and purely blasphemes God and does not seek repentance for what they have done wrong. Jesus warned, warned of this. Look at John chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Back in the New Testament, the fourth Gospel in. Look at John chapter 6 for a moment. Hold your place in Revelation 8. We'll come back. Watch what Jesus Christ warns to mankind in John chapter 6, verse 44. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jump ahead. Look at verse 65 as he reiterates his point. Jesus said, For this reason... I've said it to you. No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Now what I want you to do is to think with me. I want you to not sit here for this half hour. I want you to think for a moment what's taking place here in the book of Revelation, but further, what's taking place in our lives as human beings now, right here on this earth. If If this is not the time just before the rapture, still it is the time. What's happening in your life and my life as we go through this process of of what is God saying to us? No one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. Back in Revelation chapter 8, I want you to think with me. It seems, strongly appears, that God has said enough. Enough now. From this point forward, I will no longer draw mankind to myself. And why? Well, he has sent 144,000 bond-sealed servants of his from the 12 tribes of Israel. 144,000 God-blessed evangelists out into the world to preach the gospel. And during this time in chapter 7 that we studied, he stopped the four winds, the judgment, if you would, giving as many as would come to him time to trust in him through faith and repent of their sin. He gave everyone an opportunity to repent. But from chapter 8, as we're going to see forward there are nothing but terrible judgments that hit the earth and men will then begin to start blaspheming God and they will not repent of anything that they have done wrong. Have I ever told you the three saddest words I ever, I've found in scripture? To me, the three saddest words, I, I think I've preached to you before, but l- l- this is more of a topical study. It's a, it's a I remember doing it in the locker room. I remember speaking to uh, w- the baseball and football teams about this because uh, there would be different speakers we would have from week to week. And so we weren't going through the Bible. We were doing topical studies and I, I preached on this. Would you turn with me to Matthew, please? Matthew chapter uh, 15. i want to show you three of the saddest words in all of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 15, um, as usual, the religious leaders of the day were questioning Jesus's integrity and his, his intentions, so to speak. He's already told them everything about himself, but they wanted more. It's like most people that, that, that are searching about God. They, they know everything they need to know, but they, they want more. They, they want more information. So, In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1 the Pharisees and the scribes they come to Jesus Christ and they say to him in verse 2 why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders the elders meaning themselves why do they not do what the religious leaders tell them to do? They don't even here's what they don't do they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. Jesus must have just shook his head looked at them and he did what he always did. He asks them a question upon their question. He says, Well, then why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your, note that, I underlined in my Bible, your tradition. Not God's tradition, but your tradition. You'll note here at this church, we don't have a lot of traditions because there are not a lot of traditions to follow. There is only really traditions to follow that are written within these pages. This is what we ought to follow. This is our rule and regulation as a church. So he says, why do you guys transgress the commandments of the law for the sake of your tradition? Let's jump to the chase. Look at verse 7. He calls them hypocrites. I absolutely adore Jesus Christ. Everybody says, oh, you've got to be so sweet. Don't, be so, don't say nothing unkind to someone, really. Really. Oh, God wouldn't. Oh, really. You hypocrites, he said. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying... You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far away from me. And in vain do you worship me. You teach as doctrines the precepts of man. In other words, what are your traditions? You teach those traditions instead of God's traditions. That's what we try to stay away from here. Not our traditions. We follow the teaching of the apostles the best we can. Look what happens. After that, it says in verse 10, He called the the multitudes to Himself and He said to them, Hear and understand. Now He answers their question about washing their hands. It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the person. Verse 12, I absolutely adore. The disciples came to Him and said, "Uh, Do you know that the Pharisees are offended? (laughs) By what you say, (laughs) really? Really, they are? Do you think that troubled them at all? He answered and said to them, some pretty heavy stuff right here. Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. All those that my Father draws to me will come to me. You cannot come to me unless my Father draws you. you. You've got to remember this and then he said three words that are the most terrifying words in all of scripture in the fifth what is it the 14th the 14th verse he says leave them alone in other words don't go to them anymore the father's not drawing them anymore he calls them blind guides who are leading the blind And he says, if a blind man guides a blind man, they're both going to fall into a pit. In other words, what Jesus is doing is leaving these guys alone and he is going to others who would not reject him. First point I want to make to us today. It's a warning to those of us who have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it is also as a warning to those of you who come here and are still seeking, still wondering, should you give your heart to Jesus Christ or not? And you still try and wrestle through that problem, that, that question in your heart. Do you have enough information? Do you know enough to, to give your heart to Him? And you're, you're wrestling through that. I want to say to believer and seeker alike, Don't become so hardened to God's Word, God's voice, God's call upon your life that you keep saying to Him later. For those of us who are believers, God is perhaps saying to you something that is critical in your life. He is saying to you, I want you to do this or that or the other. I don't know what He's saying to you, but He is saying something to you perhaps even at this moment. And maybe you're saying to Him, I don't. I don't have the time right now. I don't have the finances to do what you're asking of me right now. I don't have the, the ability, the, the intelligence to do what you're asking of me right now. And you say, I'll do it later. Later. And we deny what I said at the very beginning of this message, and that is we deny the fact that if God calls you or me, he will supply everything that is needed to make us successful at what he wants us to do. And for those of you who are seeking after the Lord, let me just share with you listen closely, please. Jesus Christ is God. He said he was God. He told everyone he was God. He he proved that he was God. He went to the cross and he shed his blood upon the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. And then he died on the cross and they buried him. And three days later, three days later, he rose from the dead to prove to you that he is exactly who he says he is. You don't need any more information than that. You need now to trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sin and just walk with Him and see see what it means to be a believer. Stop putting Him off and saying later, later, later. I want more information. I'm not sure I've got it all yet. You will never get it all. Never. Come to Him. Trust in Him. Believer and seeker of light alike, stop telling him later. It might come come a time where he says, enough. Enough. I've warned you. I've called you. Enough. Now, I'll leave you alone. And for those of us who are believers, if he leaves us alone, he'll go elsewhere to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish in yours and my life, or this church's life. He doesn't need us to accomplish it. He wants to bless us to accomplish it. And what he needs for us to be is eager to follow after him. And for those of you who are seeking, I long for him not to say, leave you alone. I'll go elsewhere. I'll find others who will listen to my voice and come to trust and believe in me. Through this silence that we see back in Revelation chapter 8, it's like a calm that is going to come before a storm where God is going to send forth his, all of His force upon this earth. It's, it's as if now from chapter 8 on He has set His jaw against the earth and upon everyone on it who is unwilling to repent and come to trust and believe in Him. It appears at this point forward that he has given people opportunity enough. Now his wrath begins, and it begins in earnest. I told you, what we are going to study is hard. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, not for the, it's not for the weak of mind. It's not for those who are, 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 think, oh, how could God be so mean? Give me a break. No, the question isn't how can he be so mean. The question is how can he be so kind? You know, they ask questions, how can, how can a good God do, do, do bad things to good people? You know, that's the most stupid thing anyone can ask. There are no good people on earth. It's how can God do any good thing to all of us bad people? That's the question we ought to be asking. How? How can God be so gracious to us sinners? How could He love us so much? And so it appears that he has given people enough time. Now his wrath is going to begin, and it's going to, it's going to really begin. Now the opening of the, the final seal, the seventh seal, does not bring with it judgment. But what it brings with it is silence, and it had to be deafening. It had to be just scary beyond our wildest dream. But with that seal comes 14 more judgments. There are the trumpets, 7 trumpet judgments. And at the 7th trumpet judgment, when that judgment is opened up, then 7 bowl judgments will come after it. 14 more judgments. And during that time, as we've just read, people are going to be begging to die and can't. And they'll be blaspheming God and they will not Repent. The seventh seal is broken, silence. Up to this point in heaven, there's plenty of noise, wonderful noise, the joyful noise of of the angels and and all that were there. And there are also the sounds and the peals of thunder and loud voices we are told over and over again. But all of a sudden, silence. The implication of this silence is is that both the redeemed those who are there who have accepted Christ as well as the angels are now reduced to silence into anticipation of the wrath and the judgment of God that is going to come on this earth there are so many places in scripture but habakkuk says it the best habakkuk 2:20 says the lord is in his holy temple and let all the earth be silent before him And what John sees in verse 2 of chapter 8 are seven angels. Again, in chapter 1, verse 4, he saw them. In chapter 1, verse 20, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 5, verse 6, he saw these angels. But I want you to note something about them that is imperative for the rest of this message. Look at verse 2, please, of chapter 8 of the book of Revelation. It says, "...and I saw the seven angels who stand before God." I want you to stop at the word stand before God. The verb in verse 2 in the Greek, stand before God, is in the perfect tense. What it means, it indicates that these angels were in the presence of God Almighty and had been there waiting and standing before Him for quite some time, waiting for His command so as to do His will. One of the angels more than likely was Gabriel, in Luke chapter 1, verse 19, Luke comes to uh, Zacharias, I think it is. Yes, Zacharias. And listen to what, uh, what, what Gabriel says. He says, I am Gabriel, he says to Zacharias, who stands before the presence of my God. I believe Gabriel was one of these angels. I am Gabriel, who stands before before the presence of my God. I want you to close your Bibles now and I want you to think with me for a moment. Please. We've got five more minutes maybe. I want you to think with me. I'm going to ask you two or three questions and I want you to think through these questions. I want to ask you when, when to the best of your knowledge can you Figure out when is it that you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do you remember a time? Do you remember a place? Now, I'm not saying that it is critical for you to know. I'm saying it is critical that you know deep within your very spirit that you have given your heart to Jesus Christ. The time, and the place, and the date, maybe you don't know. For me, I'm very fortunate. I'm a lot like that young girl that wrote that note. I need him, my Lord, because there are times where I feel like I've so let him down that I feel miserable about myself. And I, I, what I do normally is I turn to the back of my Bible I don't go to the middle of it. I don't go and read in there. I go and I look in the back and I wrote down in the back of my Bible that I came to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior on March the 12th, 1973 in Honolulu, Hawaii at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I needed that. I need that today. I need that at the time when I feel like I'm anything but a Christian. I'm not acting like I, a Christian. I'm not acting like I ought to be. I'm not acting like the man that I've proclaimed to be, a Christian believer. And I need to go back and read. But maybe you don't need that. I do. I do. I'm asking you. Do you know that you are a believer? If you do in all the time that you've been a believer, let's say it's been a few days, let's say it's been a few weeks, let's say it's been some months, let's say it's been years. Can I ask you, where have you been standing during this time? Near Him, at His beck and call, or off? Away? Just kind of removed? Or, is it that you come and you go you're with him once in a while and then boom and you go away kind of kind of that roller coaster christian that carnal christian sometimes you're there and sometimes you're not so there which are you or worse are you the one that's ordering him around are you the one that when trouble hits you say hey big guy Come on, help me out here. I'm in a mess. I need you. And you call upon him to be at your beck and call. Which is it? Or are you like Gabriel, who can say, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of my God. I want to be that man. I want to say I am John. I stand in the presence of my God. And I am not here for him to come and go as I please. I am here living on this earth to be his servant. To stand in his presence. Ready at his beck and call. And when he calls on me, I don't say... Oh, your timing is just the pits. You don't know how busy I am. How about next week, say Friday? My best friend in life, one of no no, one of my very best friends in life. Friday called me and it's one of those calls, you know, you get on a cell phone and it's garbled and I could tell something was up, something was wrong and I said, Mel, I can't hear you. I, I, I've got to call you right back because this sounds like it's serious. And I called him back and I was right. He had told me that uh, he went to get his annual checkup and doctors found a, something on his back and it's, it's cancer and it's, it's serious. I just talked to him right now in between the services. I asked him if he wants me to come to Texas. He keeps saying no. But he's going to go under the knife Thursday. And they're going to find out how bad it is. And he asked me something. He says, would you uh, pray for me? And of course I said, gosh, Mel, you don't know how busy I am. I mean, I just, I can't right now. How about next week? I, I might have some time. I don't know. No, of course, I dropped everything I was doing, and I, I prayed for him and wept. Look, at if a friend asks me to pray, and I pray for him, and I feel a sense that I want to pray for him right away, how much, how much more do you think the Lord wants to hear from you and me when we stand at his, at his ready? He doesn't even have to wonder if we have cancer. He knows. And he's already caring for us. Last week, I think it was, I went to see my grandson in a swimming meet. It's more fun than I deserve. And he did pretty good. And uh, he won a couple races and stuff. And and, uh, when the races were over, he came and he sat down. He came by us where we were, all the family was sitting, and he said, Daddy, Daddy, my talking to my son. He says, I want to sit right next to you. And I thought, that's really sweet. So I called up my son a couple days later, and I said, man, I said, thanks. What a great time. I said, you know what I loved about that the most? And he says, yeah, that he won the butterfly. Huh? That, because as a kid, six years old, that was hard. I said, oh, yeah, that was wonderful. But that wasn't the moment. I said, the moment was when he came up, and he says, I know, Dad. I know, I'm pulling a chain. It's when he said, I want to sit next to you, Daddy. I said, yeah, son. I said, cherish that. And he said, talked to me for a little while longer, and then he said, Dad, and I said, yeah, son. He says, I, I want to sit with you the rest of your life. That was some of the nicest things my son has ever said to me. If that blessed me, can you imagine how much we would bless our Father who is in heaven if we say to him, Lord, I want to be like Gabriel. I want to stand at your rec- at your ready. I want to stand at your beck and call. I want to be your man. And when you call on me, I want to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, use me. Here am I, Lord. What is it you want? Rather than saying, gosh, you have no idea how busy I am. The lesson that we learn from this place in Scripture, just this couple of verses, is, is amazing. The most harshest words you'll ever hear, if you, I pray that you'll never hear them, is that the Lord would say about you, leave him or her alone. The most beautiful things you can hear is to to be a person who will stand with your Lord. Okay, let me just tell you up top, I love you more than life itself. I empty myself in front of you like this, and I just pour out my heart to you like this because I want, by the grace of God, for one of you two of you, every one of you, to come and love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. I make no, there's no hidden agenda here. This is a message to try to move you to walk with Christ all the days of your life. This is a message for you and me to try to make this church everything that God wants it to be. I preach to you for yourself and for your family, for your kids, your wife, your husband, your loved ones. It's because the reason I preach to you is because I preach it to myself. Every time I prepare a message, it's not for you. It's never been for you. Not one time, not one day has it ever been for you. I always preach every message I ever preach unto the Lord for me. For me. And if it touches your heart, thank you, Father. Father. Father, I do thank you with all my heart for who you are. Lord, the saddest words in the Bible, I believe, are those three that you uttered to those religious hypocrites when you simply said, leave them alone. Oh, my goodness. None of us want to hear that. But here we come in chapter 8. Of this book of Revelation, and we note that from this point forward, there's hardly a soul that we can see that'll come to believe and trust in you. It's almost as if you said to them, Leave them alone. You've given them 144,000 of your blessed Jewish men to preach the gospel. Myriads came, some did not. It's like everything else. Some believe, some don't. For those of us that believe, Father, may we stand at your beck and call, trusting in you and you alone that your timing for us is impeccable. So bless us, Father, please. In Jesus' precious name, bless us. I love you all more than life itself, more than life itself. Thank you for being a part of this church. I pray you have a wonderful week. I will see you next week. We'll start off with chapter 8, see what it has to say to us.